You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today we have Christian Lemieux. This is funny. I actually had to go to YouTube too, and I had to pronounce it live about 10 times to make sure that I had it kind of down. But uh, Christian is awesome. She's the founder and CEO of The Inside, which changes the home furnishings experience. And I'm going to actually let her explain what that means because I was looking at the website. I'm like, man, this is the stuff that I like don't know anything about. But it's amazing because Christian earlier was just telling me that she was a creative entrepreneur and now she's a tech entrepreneur. So she's a creative tech entrepreneur. And that's the first time I've ever heard that phrase before. And then today she's actually launching a new company, um, which I'm going to let her talk about as well. So she's been doing companies, launching companies all over the place and really excited to hear her story. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Yeah, I'm very excited. Thanks for joining. So yeah, let's talk about, I guess, why don't we start with your story from the company that you, what was it, Dwell Studio? And we'll start with that journey and how you got up to where you are now. We will start with that journey. So I started Dwell Studio out of college and I grew it over about a dozen years and I sold it to Wayfair in 2013, in August of 2013, which was really exciting for me because I really chose Wayfair because of their tech. And so when I was about to sell the company, I wanted to sell the company because I didn't want to raise money into what I thought was kind of an old school business model. I believed the future of everything was going to be e-commerce and technology driven. And so I spent a lot of time with the home tech companies that were up and running at that period. And when I went to Boston and I walked into Wayfair, I literally couldn't believe it. Like they were so far ahead of everybody in our industry that that was the, that's what sealed the deal for me. And so to your point, I went from being kind of a creative entrepreneur and I got thrown into the world of technology very quickly. Got it. And so you sold to Wayfair and then you were there for yeah. a little bit. You joined the executive team and then I you, decide, you, I was, then you decided yeah. to start this company, The Inside. Yeah. So I sold to, to Wayfair and there were a couple of amazing milestones. We IPO'd in 14, which was really cool. And then we launched a bunch of new divisions, new brands, and then... I started to realize that I probably had another company in me. I learned so much on the kind of e-commerce side with Wayfair that I thought to myself, if I could combine what I did at Dwell Studio, which was exclusive design, really creative interpretations of technology, if I could do all those things, I would be willing to leave and start another company. So I did just that. I left Wayfair in 16 and I put the back end together over about two years. It took me a long time because a lot of it is like very cutting edge digital printing, very, very cutting edge 3D rendering. And so I used all of this technology to launch the inside in 18. And what it really is, is made on demand furniture that utilizes technology to make sure that it's exclusive. So we print the fabric that goes onto the sofa or chair on demand. So we carry no inventory and we're able to have this seamless flow through that's really driven by technology. Okay. I get it now. Cause originally when yeah. I landed on a site, I'm like, I'm not, I don't really get it. But when you said made on demand furniture, yeah. I was like, dude, that headline is like, I get it immediately. Yeah. yeah. So we designed all the frames and then we designed all the fabric and they only get made when you trigger your order, which is a lot of things. One, it's exclusive to you. So I don't have to fight Wayfair and Amazon and Overstock and all these guys for the same SEO on the same SKU, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I get to say, uh, I don't have inventory. I don't have a warehouse. I'm not paying for all of those things. I'm only making when you order it. So the waste is considerably less. 
So wow. just from a just from a business model perspective, I was like, I gotta be able to hack this. Like, there's gotta be a way to do this better. And when I figured it out, that's when I left Wayfair to start the company. We don't make it till you order it, right? Jack in the box, except way higher quality. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It is the jack in the box of furniture. Exactly. This is great. Okay, so I think it stuff starts as low as what, like twenty bucks, fifty bucks. I'm just looking through. Yeah, right yeah, pillow. Yeah, pillows are made on demand. Yeah, all the way up to you can get a beautiful sectional sofa. And I don't know, you're a Peloton guy. So I mean, you could have bicycles all over it. If you really want it, I would do that for you. <laughs> I have to imagine, I mean, your customers, your reorder rate should be probably higher because people like the custom stuff. I imagine people are because they put some work into it. They're going to be a little more sticky. Is that true or false? What kind of numbers can you share around that? I think that's true. So we're just about 24 months out of the gate. So our data isn't that big, but I would say our repeat rate is one five to two, which is pretty great for this particular category. So you're right. Your thesis is exactly right, right? You buy a sofa and you're like, wait a second, I love my bicycle sofa. Yeah. I want to get my bicycle pillows to go yeah. with it. And wait a second, if my sofa looks like this, like, could I have a headboard in my bedroom that also had a different bicycle design on it. So the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a psychological standpoint, you put in a little work for something, you're a lot, you put in a lot more commitment versus just buying something random that you see at maybe a store like West Elm, which by the way, they have nice stuff, but again, you made it yourself. So cool. I think that's right because you're invested in it because you are actually not me. You're your own designer, right? Yeah. And when you're your own designer and it's really personal and it's something you love, you're actually much more a, attached to it, be satisfied by it, and C, willing to share it. Wow. I'm surprised I haven't heard of something like this before. Just, again, that headline is so good. What did you call it again? I totally made, forgot the headline. Made on, made on demand. Made on demand furniture. And That's so furniture, good. Yep. Yeah. Okay. What other numbers can you share around the business? Could be growth rates, revenues, whatever you're open to share. It's funny. I just wrote an op-ed for Architectural Digest on the home industry and sort of in the midst of COVID. And where some of the other categories or sectors out there have not fared very well. I mean, obviously home has fared very well. And so from our rate, which is 2X over last year, to somebody like Wayfair's rate, who was like 50X over last year, I think the thing is the more categories you had. So Wayfair had the sort of advantage of having every category from, I think they noticed bread makers were the first thing to go because it was sort of the Mad Max, like we're going to have to make our own food thing. And then when we realized as a human species, we were going to get through it. You know, after they sold out of every trampoline and every swing set in America, now we're finally getting to everybody's decorating. So all of the, all of the categories in home are doing well. And we're seeing that both at the inside and actually at the company that I'm launching today. So cool. people, yeah, people are not worried about the sort of the state of emergency now. Yeah. They're realizing, they're not worried. They're taking this moment to realize that their home is probably going to be their staycation and their gym like yours and their office and their school for their kids. And so what does it need for them to feel really fantastic in it? And that, that is where A, digitally first companies are going to crush and B, where we're going to spend our money for a little while. I love it. So yeah let's, yeah, let's talk about the new company because we're doing this podcast and you're launching a new company today. So right I now. commend <laughs> you for your bravery and thank <laughs> you for spending your time here. So what was going on? I guess, what's your thought process? Because you're starting something new. I'm assuming there has to be some type of play where this new company is helping the inside as well, or just what's your thesis behind this new company and what is the new company? The only part of my brand I didn't sell to Wayfair in 13 was, it was a brand I started in Europe and it's called Lemieux at Sea. We're bringing it over now. 
And it's higher end than the inside. It's much more sort of a 360 design. It is not the same kind of made on demand play. It's much more, I would say, like Dwell Studio 2.0. So something that's evolved for a long time that we finally decided to pull the trigger and bring into the United States. And so that's where I'm focusing my time right now. I mean, the inside is up and running. And it's one of those things where it's a digital first e-commerce company. And when the wheels start going, it starts going. So I am a serial entrepreneur. So I'm a builder and a 30,000 foot runner, but like, I don't have to necessarily be involved in the Mm -hmm. day to day anymore or anymore now that things are really up and running. So I like to kind of keep pushing the creativity forward, which is why the creative tech thing works for me. Got it. So with the inside, I'm assuming you have an operator running that company and a team to run the day to day on that. Oh, yep. Running it beautifully. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then so the new company, what's it called again? It's called Lumia et C. So that means Lumia and company in French, which is what I am, French. Yes. Love it. So yeah, Lumia et C.com. I mean, it's, it's up there. And now. is it, and this is, maybe I'm butchering, but so you have the insight and then this new company, Lemieux at Don't C, did I get that? See, there you got it. Perfect. Beautiful. I got it. Cool. Your French pronunciation is amazing. <laughs> I try. So this one's higher end, going to have higher end customers, higher average order values, et cetera. Yeah. And actually we are not, so I am purposely not enabling the e-commerce right away mm-hmm. um, because I'm launching it with anthropology actually. And then through specialty tours, stores nationwide, these specialty stores were my partners at Dwell Studio. And Mm. until they're up and running after COVID, I made the choice not to compete with them directly because I think that, you know what, karma comes back to you. And, you know, they've been partners of mine for a long time and we need to get people back into stores, back on the streets when all of this is kind of over. So um, only then will I initiate commerce on that brand. Got it. So yeah. going back to the inside, I'm going to kind of flip flop here. So yeah, um, flip flop. With, with the inside, how did you go about getting, let's just call it your first hundred customers and what kind of struggles did you face growing that business? Okay. So I think the first, so I had a pretty robust social media profile, both from Dwell Studio and from Wayfair. So we used that a lot initially to launch the brand, but I'd also say like we did all of the usual suspects paid advertising on Instagram works really beautifully for this particular category, SEO stuff, Google shopping stuff, like all the Facebook ads, like all the usual D2C playbook works pretty, it worked really well for us. So Instagram advertising, Facebook advertising, Google shopping, like all of those things work really beautifully. Whitelisted influencer ads. I mean, all of the usual playbook. Got it. And then my second question is around the struggles you faced growing at the inside. I mean, the struggle we face is the marketing costs just escalate, right? They've escalated exponentially over the last three years. And so I would say that wave one of the D2C companies was really able to take advantage of getting market share because their advertising costs weren't what ours were. Like we all look back to five years ago when people like Warby Parker and all these guys could just buy up advertising for almost nothing. And now it is really, really expensive. So I think that marketing costs are always going to be the biggest issue for brands. And you can get around that cleverly with social media platforms and we're testing out TikTok and all kinds of other things. But even then, there's still a pretty big price tag attached to it now. Got it. It's almost like paying rent for a store. It's just, it's not cheap. What do they call it? It's the drug that's hard to really get off of once you get it going. But so you guys were for inside, I'm hearing ads, I'm hearing maybe influencer marketing as well. A lot of that. And I I think with this more premium company, Lemuel Etsy, 
beautiful. <laughs> I have to keep, I'm just going to pronounce after this as well. I just, I need to get it right. But anyway, so this one, it sounds like you're going with channel partners first or people that have distribution, these stores. Yep. And then yep. is the plan to also go back into online as well or? Yep. So I think that we'll probably go on to online in, in spring of 2021. So we'll let the economy recover a little bit. We'll hold hands with our retail partners and then we'll go from there. And then destroy them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I, you, know what, you know what? I think that they're all pretty wise. And so what they've asked me for, even after the outset of the non-competitive launches, they've asked me all to design exclusive product for them under my brand. So I've already done 2021 for anthropology. I'm working on 2021 for the Hudson's Bay company in Canada. So I think I'll do it that way so that they can all have their own exclusive products. So we're not competing directly and that we are also, we're the repository for everything essentially. So that's, I think that's the way we'll work it. Um, Because I think that was part of my rationale behind the inside is that exclusivity is really important because if you're competing with these huge platforms, right? If I'm competing with Wayfair and Overstock and One Kings Lane and Amazon to sell the same SKU, I'm always going to lose, right? I mean, we're all going to lose to Amazon at the end of the day. So I think you have to be really thoughtful when you're thinking about creating a D2C company about how you can have exclusivity outside of those things or build in enough margin that you can wholesale on those platforms as well. Yeah. I think another important point that I'm sensing is it's long-term thinking, right? It's not trying to screw anybody and and it's trying to work with people and not trying to work against Yeah. I mean, listen, I say this all the time, like I heart Warren Buffett because like taking the long view is the only way to build a real business. If it's month over month growth and you're just blasting Instagram, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. I really believe in karma. It's a boomerang, right? So like those people helped me when I launched Dwell Studio. It's my time in this COVID world to do the same thing right back. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. And so how would you define the difference? Like what does a creative entrepreneur mean to you? And what is the difference between creative entrepreneur versus tech entrepreneur? I've worked with world-class engineers and they are also enormously creative. And like my favorite engineers are, are the ones that want the greatest creative challenge thrown at them. So to me, it's not only like how beautiful and frictionless the technology is, what you can do to make the consumer experience better, but also how you can do that beautifully. So in a gorgeous, gorgeous way. So it's almost taking, you know, the sort of like basic coding and then adding on the design, both in the code and in the visuals and combining them together. And that's what I go after all the time. And also like it has to be user experience has to be, that is the most profound thing, right? So how do all those things ladder up to the most frictionless user experience? Got it. I love it. And so it sounds yeah. like you went from, I mean, once you joined Wayfair, you worked with a lot of amazing engineers, a lot of amazing, amazing. Uh, designers, UX people, whatever. Amazing. And so besides working with these people, how else do you think you leveled up as a tech entrepreneur? Do you think there's, is there anything that you read, any groups that you joined, any coaches that you had, et cetera? I thought I know, I knew a lot. And then I left and went to the inside and had to hire my own tech team. Um, and so that's where I really learned a lot. And I have to say like the engineers that I work with now are the ones that, that taught me all of these things. Like we had a version of Java that was so new that Google couldn't index it. Like I've learned these wow. things. It's by trial and error. So I would say the team at Wayfair taught me a ton, especially around not only site architecture, but also they thoughtfully build everything from the ground up so that they actually own it so that if there's ever an upgrade, they don't have to, it's not an out of the box solution where they're waiting for a company upgrade or solution change or anything. So if you build it yourself, 
you get to keep building it in the way and at the cadence that you want to. And that was something that was really important for me to learn, I think. Got it. And so you just said you built this tech team from scratch. How did you go about building it? Did you know anybody? Like, I'm sure because a lot of people want to build a tech team from scratch. So what do you got? You go to TopTal and just find great engineers. And the thing is like, we couldn't afford to build a team. We had to have a dispersed team. We couldn't build a team from the ground up in New York because after Apple, I'm sorry, after Google and Facebook moved in, the costs for salaries just skyrocketed. And so a little tiny, teeny tiny startup like me is just kicked to the road, right? Mm-hmm. So our lead engineers in Colombia, our full stack is in Colombia. Our front end is in Chile. And these guys are unbelievable, unbelievable. And because look at, we're all dispersed now anyway. I'm talking to you through Zoom and probably will be for at least the next two years. It worked seamlessly for us. So I think that's really interesting now because the talent pool isn't in your zip code. The talent pool is the planet. Yep. I mean, not only did you build your tech team from scratch, but you built a remote team from scratch. Did you have a lot of experience with that beforehand? Not really. (laughs) Except for Slack is the savior for everything. I mean, I have every single team, we have all of our Slack channels are really tight. And every single sort of business unit for me now is on a separate Slack channel. And I can just make it work. I love that. Speaking of Slack, what is one tool that you've added in the last 12 months that's added a lot of value to you? It could be business or it could be personal. It could be like a Peloton bike or it could be like an app. The Peloton bike. So I've really started, the the engineers at Wayfair taught me how to stack rank, right? Like in a really serious way, because we always had an engineering queue that was miles long. And I was always putting in tickets and my tickets always went to the end of the 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 queue. The leader always does that, yeah. Yeah, always. And that's also because they're right. Because what I'm trying to do is at 30,000 feet and what they're trying to do is make sure the site doesn't crash. And mine is always going to be the last. Putting the icing on the cake is always the last thing in a platform scenario like that. So I started to implement that with my team. I started really using Trello and interfacing it with Slack so that every day our rank gets moved around. So, you know, even this morning, it's been moved three times as like the traffic on the new Lemieux C site got crazy. And then we, we move certain programming things up to the top. And so we do it. It's pretty fluid. And we can check in on like an hourly or a couple of times a day basis and make sure that the stack rank is where it should be, that we're getting the things that are critical done. And that, to your point, the icing on the cake gets done when it can. All right, everyone. We had connection problems at the end, but that was a really good interview with Christiane Lemieux. And definitely go check out the inside and actually look at the website. I mean, furniture on demand. Again, that's amazing. I'm surprised I haven't heard of something like that. So go to the inside and then check out everything she's doing. Her name, I'll type in the inside founder because her last name's hard to spell. So check it out. But yeah, again, this was a great interview. Sorry about the difficulties at the end. And I hope you got some ideas from this. So that is it for today. And we'll see you soon. All right. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.